0: I got a lot of satisfaction or may I even use the word joy watching people learn something new that I happen to present to them. I just happen to be the messenger.
1: I'm David Oti and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. When you picture a computer geek, what image comes to mind? Someone hunched over a keyboard writing line after line of code? Now picture someone speaking boldly and confidently about what they know. Do you have a hard time imagining those are the same person? Then you need to meet a geek who speaks. That's what Bob Goodyear calls himself. Listen to his inspiring journey from the back room to the front of the class. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ode, and on this program we have a mix of content and conversations on how you can tell the story of your scientific or other technical work, because no... Important work ever made a difference to the world until it was known. So this is all about making your work known. And I am pleased to have as a guest today for this conversation, someone I have known now for, how long? I want to say about eight years, I think. Yeah, Uh, I think it might be. Yeah, Bob Goodyear and I met at a conference called Lady and the Champs, a conference for speakers a number of years ago. And we found that we had a lot of common ground, which you're going to hear about as as Bob introduces himself and tells you more about what he has done professionally and what he's done as a... uh, Well, I'm going to let him tell you. (laughs) Bob, why don't you take it from there? Thanks a lot, David. Yeah, it has been a while. And
0: I have to admit, you and I immediately recognized. We had a lot in common. Um, From my perspective, I'm known as a geek who speaks. I have been a a technical speaker for quite a few years. I started out graduating from college with a computer science degree, and as I tell people, the reason I chose computer science was because I could work with machines and not people. I definitely wasn't a, a people person at that time of my life. But after I had uh, been doing software engineering for about 15 years, I um, realized that all I was doing was reinventing or or reusing code for different applications, but the the creativity was gone. So I took a, uh, a chance and just kind of walked into the office of my vice president of operations for the company I was working with at the time and did it unannounced and sat down in his office and said is there any place in this company where a guy like me can do something other than writing code and to his credit he didn't shoot me out of his office and go go away (laughs) um we had we talked for about 30 minutes and i walked out of his office amazingly on his staff and that was the beginning of going into other technical areas in my life. I, one of the things he challenged me the most with was uh, to, to teach a class to our new customers. Some of the software was software that I had written, so I was familiar with that, but other of it wasn't, and so I kind of had to step out of my comfort zone, but I found out I liked it. And so from there, I went on to do things such as accounts, account management. Um, I worked in technical sales for quite a while and then moved into technical product management and marketing, uh, eventually turned into doing corporate evangelism, going around all over the world, speaking about technical topics. So it was it, it was quite amazing. So, you know, if you had talked to me at at the time I graduated from uh, college and said, oh yeah, you're going to be speaking in in front of maybe hundreds or maybe even thousands of people about technical topics. I'd have said, you're crazy. (laughs) But that's what it turned out to be for me.
1: That's what it turned out to be. Unexpected. And, you know, it started really with you using your voice to advocate for yourself to that VP, I mean that—that that was a gutsy move. That wasn't your boss. This was on up the food chain a bit.
0: Yeah, I, the way I tell the story is, I actually walked by the uh, my boss's office <laughs> and, and went, "I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out." But I had literally gotten to the point where I was unhappy doing software development, and I said, "You know, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe." You know, I get told, you know, there's no place for you and there's nothing else for you to do. And then at that point, at least I know and I can figure out something. At least you know. But but credit, David, to to this vice president. Um, He, rather than shooing me out, it was literally a 30-minute interview with him. And we just talked, kind of like what we're doing here. And he learned about me. And at the end, he said, you know, I can use someone like you. So that's how it turned out.
1: I can use someone like you. What an unexpected and, and delightful, I suppose, outcome, right?
0: Oh, yeah. What did oh, it yeah. feel
1: like to walk past your boss's office again on your way back after that?
0: <laughs> um, I will say that the first thought that crossed my mind was, you have no idea what I just did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Um So you went from writing or engineering software to uh, teaching your company's customers how to use that software. And so teaching was a new venture for you at that point.
0: Very much so. I was not, I had never taught to any degree at all. Uh, Certainly not uh, for money if you will. here <laughs> are paying customers coming in to um, to spend money to learn about a software system that they had spent hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to buy. And here I was responsible for teaching them how to use it. Um, it was a very scary process for me, but there was already a course written. And so I, I just... Figured out, I just have to follow what's there and assume that that's the way it should be taught. I, I just didn't know.
1: So you assumed that was the way it should be taught. And then did you uh, have to develop your own courses later on on additional products?
0: In, in, in that particular case, no. Um, what was interesting for me anyway was that I left that company... And moved to um, I, I moved to, to, to Hewlett Packard, where they hired me as a full time instructor. Ah. Um I sent a blind resume to Hewlett Packard one day when I saw. Uh, a classified ad in the newspaper. I realize that's very old, but <laughs> I saw this ad about someone. They were looking for instructors to teach um, in their company. And I sent off a blind resume and thought, oh, yeah, you know, that would that would be of my dream job at the time is what I thought. Mm. And so I sent it in. And little did I know that I would get a phone call a few weeks later asking me to to come in for an interview and also do a test teach for them in front of all of their instructors.
1: I oh. was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> what did that feel like?
0: <laughs> um, at the time, I think it was probably the most scary thing I had ever done, David, because I knew that the people that I was teaching something, too, knew the material probably better than me. Yeah. And I thought, I say one thing wrong, and I'm going to get eaten alive. And um, I did say something wrong uh, about five minutes in. They, they had their set of trick questions that they mm. would always ask. And I did fall for one of them. And they, uh, they said, oh, wait a minute. You know, I think it's actually supposed to be this. And I looked at it, and I, lis- I listened and looked, and I said, you know, you're right. I was wrong on that one. And I found out later that the way that I handled that was the reason that they, they hired me, was because it didn't fluster me. I just went you know what? I'm wrong. And they said, you know what? I think he can be a good instructor. And that, that, that was wonderful for me.
1: Oh, you know what I love about that story is when you said what you did, the first verb you used after you described that being hit with that trick question was I listened, you know, because that's where I think all effective communication has to begin, is with listening. And if you hadn't listened then and been prepared to say, hmm, you know what, I was wrong, you wouldn't have gotten that job. Things might have turned out differently for you.
0: It may have. It, I, I think it's true. you're truly right about that.
1: What a great story. You were trained in college to understand uh, how to think as logically as a computer does and how to write code and get computers to do what you want them to do. And then you ended up in a position where you were teaching people and trying to help them get their computers to do what they wanted them to do. <laughs> um, a, a Kind of a different skill set. How did, how did you bridge that gap?
0: That's, you know, that's an interesting question. I hadn't, I can't say that I've given that much thought. But the first idea that comes to mind is I remember teaching my very first class. And I remembered that, fortunately, what I was teaching was software I had written. And so I began by teaching it and explaining what I wrote. And I found that I could explain what I wrote in a relatively easy manner. At least it, it seemed that people were understanding what I was saying. And when we went to the exercises that were associated with that particular module, they were doing quite well. So I, I just, I started with that. But when I got to material that I didn't, know that i was totally unfamiliar with Uh, it was a lot of time for me as a technical person of sitting with the particular product or the particular application and trying to understand what went on and once i understood then i figured out well how did i go through understanding it how would i explain that to someone who's seeing it themselves for the first time. So that those were the steps that I would go through with that.
1: Listening to you now, one of the things that strikes me about you as a communicator is that you seem to instinctively fall back on story. <laughs> you, So many people will say, while this was going on over this period of time, and all these things happened, you go into the moment. You said, "I remember the first time that you were, you were teaching," and I think that's such a a powerful tool because you you take people into the moment. I can see you there in front of that class, um, wondering. Uh, In fact, can I do this? And thinking, well, I can because I know this software. I know it inside and out. I wrote it. And then later, you made yourself be the the expert on other programs, other products. So you were the teacher, but not just the teacher. You were the expert.
0: I guess you could say that. I had, for me... I felt like I had to be for uh, for the customers and the students who were coming to the class. Um, but also, many times, David, and I know from your background, you've taught quite a bit as well. Um, I'm sure you've run into situations where I did, where a, a student would ask you a question and you had no clue about. What they've asked, you don't know the answer, right? And it was for me, at least. I had to learn that it was okay for me to say, even though I'm an expert supposedly, it's okay for me to say, you know what, I don't know. And that helped, you know that that helped establish the uh, the relationship, if you will, with 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 the audience.
1: The relationship with the audience. What a great idea to follow up on. Tell, tell me more about that. Uh, what you know, you weren't just delivering content; you were developing a relationship with the audience. And I think that's a, a key point for technical presenters. What are what comes to mind when you think of how you were developing that relationship?
0: Um, you know, in different ways, David. Uh, in different situations, the relationship. In my opinion gets established in different ways Um, in a in a teaching environment let's say in a class it's quite normal for um, us as instructors or teachers to have a two-way conversation with uh, our class and you begin to learn about the individuals as you begin teaching in that in that way Um, there are other situations however let's say let's take it out of the teaching realm and let's put it into let's say where you're speaking at maybe a conference or in a sales situation Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: or even amongst amongst your peers perhaps maybe not as much but let's take the other two examples previously. Um, some things that I found that helped me establish relationships was well, one habit that I developed um, at the suggestion of uh, one of our one of our mentors, um, and that suggestion was when you're presenting at a conference or in a meeting, go early, get there ahead of time and meet some of the people who are coming in. And when you meet them, what happens is they become friendly people to you
1: Mm. before
0: your meeting starts or your conference session starts. And so at that point, within... A couple of minutes you have a couple of friendly faces you can speak to or or I should say and you can refer back to a conversation that you had with that individual and um what it does is it brings in the rest of the audience going oh he knows her or he knows him oh okay and then the The conversation—I shouldn't say conversation, but the presentation becomes a conversation many times.
1: Yeah, becomes a conversation, right?
0: And and that has worked so well for me once I discovered that. That that helps a lot.
1: So the relationship building starts before you ever take the stage. Oh yeah, yeah, for me. Yeah, and so you alluded to a number of different speaking situations you've been in. You've been. Uh, the instructor, you've been the presenter at conferences, you've been, as you said, the, the corporate evangelist, uh, traveling and, and uh, touting, I guess, the company and its products as a way of paving the, the, paving the way for, for sales to, to take place after that. Different, different contexts and um, uh, talking to your peers, talking to people who may not be as technically versed as you on the, the subject you're talking about. Um, did, have you found yourself in a situation where you really had to reach for a way to bridge the gap between you and a less technical audience?
0: Oh, numerous, numerous times. Um, there are, there have been many situations, David, especially when, um, let's say, presenting at a conference. Um, i would not know who was be attending you don't you don't get a sense necessarily of the individuals who will be there in a sales situation many times you would know who would be there the sales team that you would be working with would brief you oh we're expecting you know the director of operations we're expecting uh, to system administrators, and so on and so forth. And in that case, you, you kind of have a level. But in a conference situation, anyone could come walking in who's attending the conference. And in those situations, I found that you have to figure out how to level set your, your presentation and your topic. In other words, try to understand who is in the audience, what might my demographics be, and then begin to craft the the presentation or the speech, whatever it would be. Craft it at the lowest level so that you could be able to bring someone up to other levels. It, it's something that's difficult to do, and, and I, I struggled with it a long time to, to figure it out. I'm not sure that I ever got it down, you know, 100. But you can also find out a lot uh, by listening to the questions that you might get from the audience, and realizing, oh, I'm I'm way over, I'm way over their head. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to break. I need to really bring this down.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: assumptions we make as speakers or presenters sometimes we make assumptions that are completely wrong about our audience, and we have to be willing to to change and 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 do it quickly, and realize you know my purpose has changed, my my audience is not ready for that. Let's go another direction and find out what uh, what we need to do.
1: Go another direction. Yeah, you got to be got to be nimble. Got to be flexible. Um, when I think about the the audience that this program is intended for, STEM professionals uh, in general, or, or people who give, people who are analytical, quantitative in their thinking and are giving presentations, called upon to, whether it's teach or present at a conference or present to their peers, I think many of those people. I have in mind, would relate to your statement that when you came out of college, you were eager to have a job where you were working with computers and not with people. Um, and there may be uh, people in that situation wondering, well, what does it take to go beyond that? I mean, I can see you moving that direction when you go to talk to that VP and you know, he puts you in a classroom, which may have been kind of an unexpected thing for you. But how, what advice would you give to someone who's ready to go beyond solving problems by connecting boxes and wires or writing code? I mean, you know, what I used to do involved a lot of connecting boxes and wires and sometimes writing code. Um, until I eventually discovered that the most interesting problems are not the ones you solve by connecting boxes and wires, but the ones you solve by connecting people. <laughs> And I wonder, what was that journey like for you uh, in a way that someone else can learn from it?
0: Well, for me, where I what I found unexpectedly was that I got a lot of satisfaction, or may I even use the word joy, watching people learn something new that I happened to present to them. I just happened to be the messenger. And I found out that watching them grasp a concept for the first time, and then maybe taking it two steps, three steps further than I had even asked them to do, and see them do that in the moment. Mm. Wow, what, what, what a great surprise that was for me. I didn't know that that would bring me such satisfaction. I had no idea. I mean, standing in front of that classroom for the very first time, David, trust me, that was not the thought that crossed my mind.
1: (laughs) But it wasn't.
0: (laughs) But what I found out was that I had perhaps a, um, what's the best word I'm looking for here? I had a feeling that if I worked with people, oh, if bad things could happen. I was, I, I literally was scared of having an interaction with um, a customer, let's say, in the case of, a, of teaching. And I'd find out that, oh, I, I, I'm, in their eyes, I'm scum. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. And that would just be a blow to me. But what I found out was, just starting with teaching, and then all of my interactions throughout the rest of my career, people want you to succeed.
1: Oh, that's so true. Cool. Yeah, when they see a speaker, they want you to succeed.
0: They do. They want a teacher to succeed. They don't come into a classroom, for example, and and think, oh, I want to see what train wreck he's going to make today. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And I don't know why that didn't click with me, because whenever I attended classes, I didn't go in hoping that the teacher would fail. I wanted them to succeed because I needed that information. So when that finally clicked for me, that people were rooting for me out there, whether it was teaching or in a sales situation or in a conference or whatever, when I realized that, it wasn't near as scary to me and it allowed me to proceed on into other areas that I never dreamed that I would have an opportunity to participate in. So that's that's really the story for me. I should ask you the same question. What was <laughs> what how did that work for you?
1: You know, I I can so relate to that experience. Um People have sometimes heard me tell the story of being involved in a training project uh, that drew on my experience in a particular area of broadcast engineering. I I knew uh, the nature of this new digital technology that was suddenly being pushed very quickly through the whole industry in order to clear out some spectrum for other uses. And I got involved initially as the subject matter expert on this industry-wide, nationwide training project. And then some unexpected things led to me being in charge of the whole program. And I had to learn a lot about being a trainer and training trainers and creating curriculum. I, I called up my mom, who was a long-time teacher, including a teacher of, of adults, and I said, help! <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I've called in a consultant who taught me some things. And over uh, about a three-year period, we put together this program and ultimately more than 10,000 people went through that program. And what I got to see, not very often close up and in person, but often at at a remote distance, was the difference this made to people. Taking people who were fearful of what this new technology was going to mean for them and for their job skills... And moving them to a place where they were excited to try it, excited to use it, and realized it was going to make their jobs better. Yeah. And, and that was, for me, the, the catalyst for leaving engineering when that project wrapped up and staying on this track I'm on now as a trainer and speaker and communicator. Because I saw the difference that it can make to people.
0: That's a great story, David. I didn't know that about you.
1: <laughs> well, you should listen to my podcast more often. <laughs> I guess I should. I should. My bad. <laughs> what is, um, if you think about someone who's where you were before you talked to that vice president, and you had an opportunity to give such a person one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: In terms of them wanting to perhaps move out of that Sure. Marina, is yeah. that what you're asking?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I can only give them the advice that worked for me. It wasn't advice, though. I, I Unfortunately, I didn't have someone who helped me with this. But I would say that if you feel, and I go with feelings, I, I'm one who has learned to trust my feelings more so these days than perhaps I did when I was uh, younger, when everything was logical. Um, If the feeling is coming to you that you feel like you should move to another area, go explore it. Talk to those who are doing what you are doing or what you are wanting to do, excuse me. And if you do that, you might find it's not as going to be as difficult to make that transition as, as you did, as, as you think. I will say, for example, for me, in several of the other positions that I took further on in my career, others pointed it out to me. I didn't aspire to go into technical sales. I didn't think about going into technical product management. Certainly, becoming a corporate evangelist wasn't even on my radar. Mm -hmm. But other people noticed and said, you know, I think you could be good doing this. And while it was in some way stepping into the darkness and hoping the light would follow me, um, I had confidence in them as well. So, for someone who's who's thinking about making a change, look back and see if there's others who have said something to you that you might be good at something else. Take that step into the darkness. It might be, you know, that light, the light will probably follow you if you do it.
1: Step into the darkness and the light will probably follow you. That's what a great closing thought to have for this program. (laughs) I, I have so enjoyed our conversation. It just seems like the time has flown by. Um, and uh, I, I think back to what we were both doing when we met at that conference, you know, building relationships with people who were doing what we wanted to do, the, the speaking, the training. And uh, I understand since that time, when you and I have some of our earlier conversations, uh, you have now retired and are able to travel a lot and see the grandchildren. So I congratulate you on that.
0: Thank you. It's, it, it's, 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 Turned into the joy of my life, I have to confess.
1: <laughs> that's, that's delightful to hear. Um, one last thing. How can someone who's hearing or watching this program follow up with you?
0: They can reach me in, in several different ways. Um, they can certainly go to my webpage, which is still very active. Um, you can reach me at ageekwhospeaks.com. Uh, don't try to go to the geek who speaks. Um, I, I'm not the geek. I am a, a geek.
1: geek. Who okay. <laughs> on there, grab have... the other URL. <laughs> 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 a geek who speaks. Okay. Yeah, right.
0: A geek who speaks. Um, I've got contact information there, phone numbers, email. You can reach me that way. Certainly, you can find me on LinkedIn. And most, you know. The other way I can think of that they can reach me, David, is they can contact you because you know how to get me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. I do know how to track you down, don't I? (laughs) Yes, you do.
0: And I'm always welcome having an opportunity to to, uh, talk with you. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you as well, Bob. And anyone who wants to contact me can start by going to the homepage for this program, which you can find just by going to storyandscience.com. And as you explore that site, you'll find buttons that will put you right in touch with my calendar. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Uh, And my full contact information is available there as well. As always, thank you for being part of the story and science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. Leave us a review. Or, so that you don't miss anything, Subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Ody. Thanks for listening.